I'd like for you to join me in the book of Acts. Now, don't let this surprise you on Pentecost Sunday. It ought never be a surprise in apostolic church to preach out of the book of Acts. It is, after all, the actions of the apostles. Amen? Amen. The book of Acts, the second chapter. We're just going to read the narrative together as it unfolded. The Word of God is so powerful because you don't have to add to it or take away from it. It'll always stand on its own. I believe that, don't you? Amen. Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. If you're there, say amen. If you're not, just keep on turning. You'll find us. It's easy. And when the day of Pentecost... I think we ought to read this together. Let's do it. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave, gave them utterance. Aren't you thankful for Pentecost today? Praise God, praise God, praise God. You may be seated. I want to preach to you today. This is going to be hard for you to remember. It's a very difficult title, so if you're taking notes, write it down, okay? It's going to be big. Are you all ready? I want to preach to you about the power of Pentecost. See, I didn't even use any long words. Isn't that awesome? The power of Pentecost. But it goes beyond just the power of Pentecost. There is power in personal Pentecost. There is power in getting an experience for yourself. There's some people that talk about the gifts of God and the things that were released to the church on the day of Pentecost. And they say it's not for everybody. They say that God gives that gift to some people and to some he don't. I got problems with that. Not because I don't like the people talking about it. I have a problem with it because God is no respecter of persons. And it, I, I don't believe God's going to give me a gift that he won't give you because he likes me more than he likes you. I don't believe that God gives some people the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, but he withholds it from other people because they don't need that gift. I've heard some say that speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterances of the devil. And I have a problem with that because I want to tell you the devil don't have access to anything that good. If the devil could give people the Holy Ghost, they wouldn't need the church. So you hear me when I tell you the devil don't have anything anywhere close to the power of the Holy Ghost. If the devil had access to the Holy Ghost, there'd be nightclubs full of people speaking in other tongues. Because there is nothing like the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I'm glad I got it today. Praise God. So... I got in a conversation this week with uh, a pastor friend of mine. We were talking a little bit about how replacement theology has filled pulpits. And I don't, I, I'm not going to go deep into this and talk about it real, real in depth. But basically there is a concept even among our movement that the Gentile church was a replacement for uh, the Jewish church. That God's original plan and, and people... The Jewish people have been replaced because they, uh, they denied the Lord. And they really extrap uh, extrapolate this thought process from 
uh, one scripture that he came to his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And so they draw it from the idea that the Jews rejected the Messiah. And so the Lord took another bride and he filled the Gentile church with the gift of the Holy Ghost. The problem that we run into immediately out of the gate with replacement theology is Acts chapter 2. You can't preach Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 and 39 and skip over Acts 2 and 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, right? And so the problem with replacement theology is that you delete the first part of the history of the church by saying that the Jews have been replaced by the Gentile church. Because what you need to know is that from the book of Acts chapter 2 where the church began until the book of Acts chapter 10 where Cornelius, the first Gentile, and his family received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the only people that received Jesus were Jews. The very name of Pentecost in and of itself, which it's a shame that people would try to neglect so great salvation. The power of Pentecost is that Although the Greek, the word Pentecost itself is Greek, it is a feast of the Jews. It is the feast of weeks in the Old Testament, the feast of Pentecost. There is explicit parallels beyond a doubt that we connect uh, the feast of Pentecost in the New Testament with the feast of weeks in the Old Testament. The feast of weeks is the exact same feast that is observed in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, that meant that the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, was in full swing. This was uh, in celebration of the wheat harvest. This was in the celebration of the fact that uh, they had gathered in the harvest. And I don't find it whatsoever a coincidence. Or as one old boy said it, it ain't a quinky dink. He said, I don't, I don't believe that it's a coincidence whatsoever that the Lord used the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of Wheat. The feast of the wheat harvest To begin the harvest of his people Into the body of Christ Can I tell you that harvest is always on the mind of God I have preached several, several times in this church Exactly the correlation But as God has blessed us and we continue to grow I want to be sure that We are all steeped deeply in the word of God and our brains are saturated and macerated in the power of the word of God. And understand that you cannot delete the Old Testament and have a powerful New Testament church. Can't do it. So what is Pentecost all about? It is a Jewish feast and we as Pentecostals celebrate this experience that happened during the Jewish feast of Pentecost. What happened and how did the Feast of Weeks begin? The Feast of Weeks began first in your Bible in the book of Exodus when the Lord gave the law to Moses at the Mount of Sinai. So God, this is so powerful. Oh, I wish I could really go into depth with this. This, is, this ought to be a three-week series, but I'm only going to preach it in just a few minutes this morning. 
The Feast of Weeks is celebrated at the mountain of Sinai. It should be noted that God gave the children of Israel freedom and salvation from slavery before he gave them the law. In other words, keeping the law, oh man, this is so powerful. Keeping the law was not a condition for receiving their freedom. But rather it was a response to God's grace in setting them free. Oh my my. The power of this is that the Lord set them free and then gave them the ability to live in the power of his word. So the first feast of Pentecost in the New Testament, God provides his Holy Spirit just as he provided the law with his spirit in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the Lord provides his spirit. The word tells us that when the spirit of truth is come, it will lead and guide you into all truth. When the Lord gave his law in the Old Testament at Mount Sinai, it's because his people had been delivered from slavery and he said, I do not want my people who are called by my name to live without truth and without boundaries. And the spirit of the law is identified with the law of the spirit in the New Testament. The law was never meant to squeeze life out of people, but rather to bring life to people. It wasn't the law that brought death. It was sin that brought death. I wish I could preach to you this morning. So, I'm trying to lay a very quick foundation because I know where I want to go today. I know where I want to get, but some time ago, uh, it's been several years ago on Pentecost Sunday, I preached about the second loaf. And I talked to you from uh, Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, as the Feast of Weeks is being laid out. And it's, it says very plainly uh, that they are to bring two loaves of leaven to the table during the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of weeks. And if you read old rabbinical literature, there was never ever an answer ever for why there were two loaves. Now, this is the first feast in which leaven is introduced. Why is that? And we can draw parallels, and I don't want to lose you here, but there's some serious power in this, even in the New Testament understanding that it is the first feast with leaven. And that is because the vessel in which the Holy Ghost fills is full of leaven and sin. But by the power of the Holy Ghost, you have the ability to overcome the sin that is in your life. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying it's indicative of the idea that the Holy Ghost doesn't come in your life just so you can keep on sinning. But the power of the Holy Ghost is a deliverer from a life of sin. I thank the Lord today that although my life was full of leaven and my life was full of sin and I was a wreck, I was a train wreck waiting to happen. The power of the Holy Ghost will change your life. So... The issue is that there are two loaves that are mentioned in Leviticus, 
the 23rd chapter, I believe you'll find it somewhere around the 17th verse, that they are commanded to bring two loaves to the table. It's very interesting to research, but the, uh, the old rabbinical literature, they always struggle with why there were two loaves there. And we understand now on this side of it that the two loaves are very simply an understanding that the Gentile church would also be brought to the table. But it's interesting because in your Bible we find out that there is now no longer two loaves. But the scripture said that there is one loaf. There is one bread, one body. And so what this helps us to understand is that for centuries they may have brought two loaves to the table. But thank God Almighty that there was enough bread for the Gentile church and that we weren't left behind. We are not a replacement, but we are now a part of that one loaf. We have been grafted into the vine. I feel like telling you when we get to heaven, there's not going to be two tables, one for the Jews and one for the Gentiles, but we're going to sit down at one table with men and women from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue because the power of Pentecost is that he didn't just die for the Jew but to the Jew first and then to the Greek I hate to tell all of our politicians this that are trying to make us hate one another but you hear this preacher when I tell you that at the marriage supper of the Lamb there's going to be blacks and whites and Hispanics and Indians and every every nation and tribe and tongue we are the body of Christ we are the loaf Oh my. So, I really do wish I had time to dive off into this because it's so interesting to me. But every feast has a purpose, and we can find the parallel like the Feast of Passover is a remembrance of slaying the Passover lamb. The first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a remembrance of the Exodus from Egypt. We see that. The Feast of Weeks or Pentecost is remembrance of the giving of the law at the Mount of Sinai and so it is literally the anniversary of God appearing to his people Lord Jesus it is the anniversary Shavuos is the anniversary of God appearing to his people on the mountain now I'm fixing to mess with y'all a little bit this morning I called Bishop in my office today and started telling him what I was going to try to preach brother Snow I said I don't even know if I can preach it my old dad was listening. He said, man, I feel the Holy Ghost. So, we're celebrating at Pentecost the law being given at Sinai. At which point we see very clearly in Exodus chapter 19, if you want to take note of this, Exodus 19 and verse 16. How many of y'all believe this old word is right? Isn't it powerful? Isn't it something? If you're looking for a loophole and an escape, you'll have to find it somewhere else in the Scripture. But if you're looking for something that will settle your spirit and confirm the Word of God, you're going to find it in the Word of God. So 19 and 16, I've got to hurry. It came to pass on the third day, oh my Lord, in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount. And the voice... Of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that were in the camp trembled. 
And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And the Mount Sinai, listen to this now, we're reading this in the book of God, was all together on smoke because the Lord descended upon the mountain in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. Somebody say a voice. voice. The scripture said that the Lord came down on Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. Moses went up. And as you keep reading, you're going to find out that there were lightnings and thunderings that were transpiring while Moses is in the cloud of God, so to speak. So I'm going to talk to you right now about how, Lord Jesus, about how God confirms his word. Why did God pick the Jews to fill with the Holy Ghost first? Why were they his chosen people? Why did all this happen? Well, in order to know something about people, you got to know a little bit about the history of the people. One of the greatest ways that we can find out about the history of the Jewish people beyond the Torah, beyond the canon of the scripture, is by their oral tradition, their oral law known as Midrash. Okay, so in the Midrash, uh, we have great understanding. Now, listen, you can't necessarily take the Midrash as scripture because it is oral tradition. But we can find very often, very, very often, when we're trying to draw parallels, that the way God dealt with his people throughout historical record, that he always confirms it with his word. I don't want to make you snore in Greek and dream in Hebrew this morning, but I'm about to show you the power of the way that God confirms his word. So according to the scripture we see in uh, Exodus right here as I'm reading to you, according to the scripture, we see that Moses ascends. There was great smoke, great cloud. The Lord himself descended. There were lightnings and thunderings. There was a loud sound of a trumpet that was there. The oral tradition, the midrash uh, of the Jewish people, that history said that it's recorded that the people in the camp, when they, the scripture talks about uh, lightnings, it said that the people literally saw sound waves coming out of the mouth of God that looked like fire, lightning across the sky. But they recorded in this historical account in the Midrash that as the fire left the mouth of God, that it would completely encircle the encampment of the children of Israel until individually, one by one, that the fire that came out of the mouth of God would begin to set on men and women, every one of them, until everybody in the Oh my God. Until everybody in the camp had fire sitting upon their head. This is Jewish oral tradition that when it came out of the mouth of God, it was a fire that consumed the entire camp and it rested on every one of them. And it is recorded in historical accounts that they did not just hear the Lord speaking the law in the native Hebrew tongue. 
But actually they said that in this historical account, again, it's not Bible, it's not in the canon, it is a historical account, and it's so power to recognize what they said that they saw and what they said that they heard. Because they said as the fire issued forth out of the mouth of God as lightning and thunder, that it came out of his mouth. It said that the law of the Lord went forth in the earth that day in every tongue that was known to man. There was not a language in the earth that was known that was not heard that day as the law of God proceeded out of his mouth as fire that oh my 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 What I'm saying to you is, is that there was no tribe or tongue that was left out. As it came out of the mouth of God, it was heard in every language of the world. And so we find in 19 and 16, came to pass on the third morning, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount I want to take you to Acts chapter 2 verses 2 through 6 you can't believe the Midrash no but I can believe the scripture and if it reconciles in the scripture it lets me know a little something's up suddenly there came a sound from where well I'm glad it wasn't earthly aren't you as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting it's almost like the trumpet was so loud Are you drawing the parallels yet? Go ahead. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of. Do you realize that the 120 people that were gathered in the upper room that day had been hearing from generation to generation to generation the oral tradition that when the law of God was given during the feast of weeks that the voice of God came out in every tongue that was known in the world and it descended on the people as a fire and it set on every one of them and in that upper room there were 120 Jews that had heard all their life about the power of Pentecost but when the Lord appeared unto them he appeared unto them with cloven tongues like as a fire and set on each of them what was he doing he was confirming the word this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel my God there were there were gathered in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation And when they heard them speak with other tongues, they said, did we not hear them speak in our tongue, but are these not Jews? Can you imagine, can you imagine a God that is so in tune with his people that he actually confirms the historical accounts that he was raised hearing with his people? And lets them know, I have not just come to reveal to you the spirit of the law. But I want to confirm to you the spirit of the law through the law of the spirit. This is what you must know is that the law of the spirit and the spirit of the law will always agree in the word. They don't ever contradict one another. 
the spirit of the law in the word is revealed to us that this has never been about anything but the love of God. And the law of the spirit is the power of God filling us and setting us free from everything that the law had revealed to us. Oh, my, my, my. Now, I want to show you something that I feel is so powerful. Do you, does anybody here believe that God is able to reverse what sin has done in our lives? Anybody? Is there anybody that's a witness here today that you once were lost, but now you're found? You once were blind? I've got to, I've really got, I've got to hurry. I've, I've got to get, I've got to hurry. So this is what, this is what I want you to understand is that God's word is so powerful that he doesn't miss anything. He does it. None of this is a, a coincidence. None of this is happenstance. It all happens because the word of the Lord is so powerful. So on this day that the law is given, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to tell this and fast forward. If you've ever read the Exodus account, you know exactly where I'm at in the story. Moses comes down. He's frustrated. He's got the law under his, under his arm. He comes down. There's a golden calf that's been built. It's, a, it's an atrocity. It's terrible. It's a pitiful thing. These people, God's up there speaking to the man of God. They're down here building their own idle way. It's a terrible deal. He comes down and he casts it down. The Lord calls him back up into the mountain. I know I'm in fast forward. And if you've never read it, you're probably confused right now. But you need to go read the account. While God is trying to start revival in Israel, he realizes there's some things in them that's got to come out of them before they're able to receive the law of God. But because this was an offense to the Lord... I want, I want to show you very quickly in Exodus 32, and then I got to move on. This will make somebody rejoice. It did me. In Exodus, the 32nd chapter and the 28th verse, I've never really noticed this until just this week, but I saw this, and it made me want to shout. This is one of the things I shared with Bishop this morning. So the law of God has gone forth. The people have sinned. They have built an idol, and the, and the Scripture said that the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And This is so unbelievable. And there fell... That day, about 3,000 men. The day the law was given, 3,000 men lost their lives because of the spirit of sin. The spirit of death. 3,000 men lost their lives. But when the day of Pentecost was fully come it started in 120 in the upper room where the word of God was confirmed but when they walked out into the street and men began to see this all-consuming fire on them the Bible said that there were about 3,000 that were added what are you saying I'm saying the Lord knows the word and he knows that there was death that was brought to about 3,000 because of sin but there was life that was brought to about 3,000 because of the power of Pentecost. God have mercy. I'm sure it's all just a coincidence, okay? There's more to this Holy Ghost thing than just speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. I'm going to do my best to get this finished. There's so much more to this. The Holy Ghost don't just make me speak in tongues. But it empowers me to become more 
than I can be in my own human ability. The Spirit of God does more than just make me dance. It does more than just make me shout. The Spirit of God does two major things in my life. It empowers me and it matures me. Oh, I want to help somebody so bad. Can I say that again? I want to be sure that you get this. The Holy Ghost is not just for empowerment. It is for maturity. In 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, the 19th verse. This is so powerful. Oh, God, this is so powerful. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. Know you not that your body, somebody say my body. The hardest part to control. Your body, it is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. And you have because you're smart and you're intelligent and the Lord thought enough of you that you got the gift nobody else did. You have it because God gave it. You are not your own. Now again, I don't want you to snore in Greek and dream in Hebrew, but I got to help you right here because if you just read the scripture, sometimes you miss little nuances that can absolutely change your life. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The word temple here is a little different in the Greek language than it is just about anywhere else in the New Testament text. When the apostle said, what? Know you not that your body is the temple, the naos of the Holy Ghost? It makes a different kind of inference than it's ever made with the word temple throughout the scripture. It's entirely different. The naos actually means only the innermost sanctuary of the temple, like the most sacred place. It is not the word that is used in uh, generalities. That word is hieron, H, I believe it's H-I-E-R-O-N, when the word temple is used. But this time, N-A-O-S is used, and it's different. The, the, the temple hieron means the entirety of the temple. It's speaking of Solomon's complex that was there. But this word, he said, know ye not that your body is the temple he was saying literally your body is the innermost sacred sanctuary where the presence and the glory of God dwells I've come to tell you this morning that your life may have been trashed it may have been a wreck you may have failed people and you may have failed God you may have been the worst of the worst you may have a rap sheet that's from here to Los Angeles but you listen to what I'm telling you today He has made you worthy by the power of Pentecost and who you were does not matter and where you've been does not matter. Your body is the innermost dwelling. The innermost dwelling place of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God will change your life. I'm going to walk just a couple more places with you. I'm quickly coming to a close. But I want to tell you that the Spirit of God was a confirmation in the New Testament 
of the power that was within the law of God in the Old Testament. And he always confirms his word with signs following. And that's why when he gave his law in the Old Testament, it wasn't just a voice that they heard, but there were lightnings and thunders and miracles and wonders. Because where the word was, there were signs and there were wonders. When the word rested on top of Mount Sinai, which is interesting, because the word Sinai, the root of that word, is where we get our English word of sin. And I find it very interesting that the law of God rested on sin. And the glory of God rested on... Oh, my, my. The glory of God literally covered Sinai. It covered sin. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? He's got the power to cover sin in your life. And when he fell in the New Testament, and you can say what you want to say, but I'm glad... That when the Holy Ghost fell in the New Testament, they didn't just stand in that room for 10 days. And I'm not doing this to be disrespectful, so don't, don't you run off and say I'm making fun of the Holy Ghost. But I'm glad that they didn't just sit in that upper room for 10 days. Somebody just lift their hand and say, ooh, Hickamo, Shonda. 120 people look at him and go, mmm, Hilo. Well, I got it. Okay, let's go. You understand what I'm, I'm, I'm not making fun of the Holy Ghost. This isn't just about talking in tongues. This isn't just about having a language messed up. You, you, all of this is the power of the Word of God. When man had corrupted hearts, and I wish I could t tell you all of this today, but I want to show you how the Word of God reverses. When men had corruption in their hearts, and they wanted not to just bring God down to their level, but to ascend to the knowledge of God, they started building a tower at Babel. And the Bible said that whatever they purposed in their heart, they were going to do. And the only way that God could get them to stop doing what they intended to do was how? He confounded their language. He made them all speak in a different language where they could not communicate with one another. But on Pentecost, it reversed the power of what was done at Babel. Their language was confounded and they could not understand. But on the day of Pentecost, when they began to speak with other tongues, it is a language that the Spirit understands in your life. There were signs confirming the word. That's why before they ever spake with other tongues, that suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Can I say this and not be too abrasive this morning? We often get our deal done before we start talking about a wind blowing from heaven. We'll get it done whether the wind blows or not. We just come together and have good church, Pastor. That's what it's all about. I say this with all due respect today, and if you don't attend this church, you got to know my heart. I love these people. Outside of my family, I have no greater joy than to serve in this church and to love these people and to work in this city and this harvest field. But you hear what I'm telling you right now. I will not pastor or be a part of a church that shuts the wind down. It's going to happen. I want to be a part of a church that has a suddenly sound that comes from heaven. I don't want to just have good church. I don't want to just have good music. I want there to be a sound that comes from heaven and fills the house where we're sitting. 
Because the power is not in just gathering together. The power is in whose name we gather together in. I feel so much Holy Ghost up here this morning. I'm having a hard time standing here. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the blood of Jesus. And there is power in the spirit of the living God. I'm going to take you two more scriptures, two more portions. Now I got to go. We're going to start in Galatians 3 and 13. Just one verse. And then I want to take you to Romans 8. And I'm going to get you out of here. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Christ uh, has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he do it? By being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. But he didn't hang on the tree for what he had done. He hung on the tree for what I have done. And I owed a debt that I could not pay. But thank God he paid a debt that he did not owe. I'm talking about the power of Pentecost. And people look at us and think this is just emotionalism. They look at us and say this is just because you like to come together and dress up all spiffy and have your good little church service. Oh no, baby. If you knew where I would be, if it had not been for the grace of God in my life, if it had not been for the Spirit of God. You can stay standing or be seated, whatever you want. I'm going to read 16 verses to you. God forbid we read too much scripture while we preach. <laughs> Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1. Oh, I feel so much Holy Ghost in here today. There is therefore now no condemnation. To them which are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to go all the way through 16, bro. Stay with me. Who walk not after the flesh, but after... The spirit. For the law of the spirit. Oh, you thought I was just throwing stuff around. This is Bible. The law of the spirit agreeing with the spirit of the law. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Hath made. Woo. How are you free? Because he made me free. He that the Son has set free. He is free. Indeed. Go ahead. For what the law. <laughs> I love this book so much. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us 
he is fulfilling the law, not abolishing the law. That it might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the dunamis, the spirit, the power of God. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit, for to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded, it is life and it is peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can it be. So then they that are in the flesh, they cannot please God. This is not Pentecostal rhetoric. It's the scripture. You cannot please God in your flesh. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in. I'm talking about the power of Pentecost. If the spirit of God dwell in you, why do you think I need the Holy Ghost? Because if any man have not the spirit of Christ, they are none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if this preaches itself. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. For if you live after the flesh, you're going to die. But if you live through the spirit, you do mortify the deeds of the body and you shall live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, <laughs> they are. You know what this means, bro? We're brothers. You know what this means? I don't care if you're a Jew or a Greek. Can I be real plain and just say this right now? If you're a racist, his spirit don't dwell in you. If you can't look at a Chinese man and say your life matters... His spirit dwell in you. You are the sons. <laughs> I love my family. You know what this means? It means your family may have treated you like trash. You may have been outcast, never known your father, never known your mother, never had a brother or a sister to call your own. Welcome to the family, sweetheart. It ain't about your pedigree. It's about his spirit. Oh, my daddy was mean to me, Pastor. I didn't have a good family. Welcome to the family of a father that'll love you like you've never been loved. Go ahead. They are the sons of God. 
Oh, I love this so much. This just makes me want to lay down on the floor and weep. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Daddy, Daddy, Abba, Father. I'm telling you today, I don't say this to be insensitive. It don't matter where you came from. He wants to be your Abba. He, oh, he wants to be your Father. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Go ahead. The Spirit. Itself. Beareth witness with our spirit. Brother Diaz, this is the spirit that man have beat down, that men have confused, that men have said we have no value, that people in your life have spoken down to you and said you, you're, you're worthless. There is no value in you. The Bible said that his spirit bears witness. With my spirit. That it don't matter who I've been. And it don't matter who my earthly daddy is. His spirit bears witness with my broken spirit. With my wrecked spirit. With my shattered spirit. With my jacked up spirit. With my mean spirit. His spirit will bear witness with my spirit. And will turn that spirit into a spirit that never knew how to love. But now we know the love of God. And we never knew how to receive love. But now we are loved by God. And his spirit bears witness that we are the children of God. So the power of Pentecost is that the law, yes, it was given to Sinai, to a generation, to a nation, to a people. But in those commandments, they were told that during the feast, you need to bring a second loaf to the table. And that confirms that we are the children of God. But how? By his spirit that dwelleth in us. I don't want to open up any wounds today of any people that are hurting. But you just hear me when I tell you this today. Please understand my motive when I tell you this. I love this precious church. But we are not perfect people. I'm not saying this to make anybody have feelings that God has healed or whatever in their heart. But you may be sitting by somebody that was rejected by their daddy. It's very possible you're sitting by somebody today that was abused by their earthly father. We have people in this church that have lived horrible lives. That people have done things to them that they didn't deserve. Should never happen to anybody. But that's not who you're sitting by today. Because their first daddy may have been a drunk. Oh my God. But their heavenly father is a king. And you're sitting by royalty today.
find my identity based on who you tell me I am. I find my identity on who he tells me that I am. And I believe what my father says about me. So this is not just about talking in tongues. This is why the plan is so right. Because when I repent of my sin, I repent of everything that I was taught to do and everything I was taught to become. I repent of the product that I am, a product of my environment. I, I, I was born in sin, shaping in iniquity. That was me, Brother Joe. I was born that way because I was connected to a vine that was filthy. <laughs> but I repent of that. And that's where I tell him, that's not who I want to be. But he didn't leave me there just saying, I don't want to be that anymore. He said, okay. Then why don't we just erase that? And why don't we just wash that away from your life? Well, Brother St. Clair, you don't understand my addictions. I don't have to. You don't understand how bound I've been. I don't have to. You don't understand, man. I, I, I could drink anybody under the table. I was quite the alcoholic. You were. But that water up there. Some would tell you it's just a fiberglass tank full of hard and limed up Anderson City water. But I'm saying to you what you cannot see is that that is the blood of Jesus Christ that now cleanseth us from all sin. For without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission. And when you go down in a watery grave of baptism, everything your earthly father and mother taught you to be becomes irrelevant. And you take on a name that's a new name. It's a name of royalty. It is the name of Jesus Christ. And you've been baptized for the remission of your sin. But he's not finished with you yet. Not only is he going to wash away your yesterday, he's going to fill you with his spirit and give you a tomorrow. And you will become a son of God.